Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Buddhang dhammang sankhang namasami So welcome to the uh, beginning of the um, Sunday afternoon talks at uh, Amaravati and um, this uh, the, the uh, theme for the first talk as probably most of you have seen on the, the list is uh, the end of the world question mark uh, a question of sustainability so a few different um, uh, themes or elements that, that came to, to mind in um, considering this and uh, so I thought um, to uh, to begin with just the, the most obvious considerations are um, the uh, the kind of uh, concerns that we uh, we hear about in the in the press in the media that uh, and uh, we've probably been uh, very aware of in the last number of years um, about the uh, say the elements of climate change now, right now at the North Pole, there is a uh, <coughs> there's actually a lake <laughs> rather than ice at the North Pole. I just uh, was seeing a, a news uh, 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 a news report about uh, you know every year since 2002, the um, uh, the North Pole there's right, there's been a, a stretch of uh, meltwater there uh, instead of the the ice sheets, and uh, now it's a, a large lake. Several several hundreds of meters across uh, so that uh, that's an interesting thought that the North Pole at the moment there isn't it's not ice but there's uh, just the open water um, also just uh, this steamy summer we've been having that uh, the uh, even Thai people who've been coming here say oh it's so hot <laughs> I can't bear it it's the weather so it's so it's so uh, you know roasting here I said you come from Thailand. It'd be much hotter in Bangkok. Oh, no, 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 no. It's much hotter here. And if you remember, this time last year, um, I, I was leading a 10-day retreat just uh, last week, and some people who were on the same uh, uh, same retreat last year, they were reminding me how it was freezing cold, driving rain. <laughs> and uh, it was a very uh, uh, bitter, difficult weather conditions. And also, you know, this this last winter, uh, I was going out for a, a lot of walks, getting uh, getting fit to go off to the to go hiking in the Himalayas. And uh, so I was going out for walks around the local area uh, every day, and sometimes out for a, taking a packed lunch and going out for the the whole day. And uh, the the last long walk I did it was a, a whole day hike, and I was <coughs> I was it was a fourth of May, and I was in snow all day long. <laughs> <laughs> Coming over the ridge south of Berkhamsted, said there was this blizzard blasting me in the face, and I thought, "This is Hertfordshire. It's May." <laughs> and I, quite honestly, it was it was it was warmer in the Himalayas around Mount Kailash than it was here in the in England just a couple of weeks beforehand. So that uh, <clears throat> certainly, that just e e even locally, we experience a lot of extreme swings of weather. And whether 
no pun intended, <laughs> whether you have any, um, say, a sense that the climate change is something that's a, a genuine fact of our lives, or whether it's all just a, um, a kind of a hist- uh, sort of hysterical rantings by the, the extremes uh, in the press, then uh, uh, or one friend of ours is, uh, is inclined to call it global warbling. <laughs> Rather than global warming, global global warbling, that uh, you know, there, there's different opinions. I recognise there's a large range of of different opinions that uh, are um, uh, are formed a- around the uh, the subject, whether there really is any kind of um, uh, genuine changes going on, or whether they are uh, whether there are not. But certainly, we can experience it. You know, there's uh, it, it's uh, uh, clear that there is. Um, Say uh, difficulties in the ecosystem uh, of the uh, the planet, the the number of species uh, lost each year that are going extinct, um, just the, the simple things of uh, the access to water resources, the uh, increasing prices of petrol, <laughs> the disappearing supplies of fuel, and so forth. It's clear that the the human resources are being used up. The, the human population is increasing. And there is definitely, uh, uh, I think, very few people could argue that there's uh, that there is stress in the system. So, because of this, um, there is uh, anxiety in the air. Um, eco, uh, what the, is known as eco anxiety, uh, whether you feel like yourselves or, or or not, or whether that's something that you read about, it's it's something that that's around. And the very title of the talk, you know, the end of the world? Question <laughs> mark. Um, uh, I didn't. In, I didn't think up that. But this particular title, but there was one that another member of the sangha suggested, that uh, that uh, that kind of murmuring is is in the air. That the, the environment seems to be getting very stressed. Things could be getting very difficult. Uh, resources running out. And so then, uh, uh, along with those um, so alarm calls of uh, eco. Eco anxiety and, and stress within the, um, the the global system, you know, the the, uh, the living system around the world. Uh, then uh, also alongside that, we have the expressions of concern, uh, and particularly to do with climate change, the amount of uh, effect that uh, human population and the industrial revolution and uh, um, the emissions of uh, carbon dioxide and so forth have, have had on the the atmosphere. And so again, whether it's completely true or not, <laughs> how much the human influence there has been, um, that's a, a subject of debate. Uh, and I'm, I make no um, pretense to being an expert. But certainly there's, there's a recognition that um, the, the way we humans live and what we're, we're doing and how we function in the world can be having a very, uh, is likely to be having a, a, a direct and um, significant effect on, on the atmosphere, on the world that we live in. And therefore, if, there, if there's something that uh, is the effect of our human actions, then there's also it, it implies that there's something we can do about it. We can perhaps change the way that we do things and uh, live in a more um, harmonious and uh, less damaging way, the way we can live in ways that are more supportive to, to well-being and, um, uh, and a, uh, a wholesome integration uh, of life on the planet rather than... Uh, Acting in ways that are, are you know, creating more stress, more difficulty, and, and more destruction. 
and just pondering this area again i'm not pretending to be an expert but it seems that uh, a large uh, slice of the the difficulties come from uh, what's uh, <laughs> uh, so ironically called consumerism and that we all we're all known as consumers which is a, is a term we're, we're used to nowadays but if you think about it it's a pretty strange term that you know our being is defined by the fact that we consume <laughs> that we're sort of eating up stuff and that uh, it's the uh, the the uh, the realm of the the, kind of the role or the effect of, of humans, you know, the fact that we we think of ourselves just as consumers rather than as you know other ways of defining our, our being and who and what we are is kind of ironic to me. And that the the um, <clears throat> and the way that Ajahn Chah often would talk about our sort of characteristic of of the mind when it's sort of caught up in its own delusions, he said it was like a uh, an ever open mouth there's this term he would use that ah <laughs> which is a, apparently a, a term in the local dialect meaning kind of a endless hunger and the sort of the i think in a way that the ever open hungry mouth that is eager to, to gobble everything up is a kind of way of, of defining um the cause of uh, difficulties in the world that we're, we're forever trying to say, take in and, and get stuff for ourselves and the the consumerism or the the sense of uh, I have the right to say consume or, or have or, or uh, say uh, take hold of, of anything that that I like that I want that it's all there for me is a, a cause of, of great uh, difficulty and uh, and increasing sort of damage to to the planet and also the fact we ignore that that me getting all the stuff that I like and I want <laughs> it, it involves a lot of uh, of uh, stress and ecolog ecological damage and harm in other parts of the world, using up resources and uh, the um, the kind of uh, uh, say um, uh, the burden that that puts on the, the lives of of, uh, of many other people. I remember some years ago, I think it was, it was an advertisement for a, a, a an ecological protection uh, charity, and. Uh, they had uh, <clears throat> on one page there was a uh, collection of photographs, like a, a smoke billowing out of a, a, a factory, um, a um, uh, the you know a waste pipe pouring sort of frothing fluid into a into a river, um, you know, a large mining operation, um, a, an oil refinery, and and then you know, a few a few pictures of of, uh, of people as well. And it said, uh, which one of these do you think is the most destructive to the environment? And then <clears throat> when you turn over the page, there was a single picture, was the, the one picture of, of a small white child, <laughs> a, you know, a newborn uh, Western baby. And, so the, and that, what the point that it was making was that in a, in a lifetime, a, a child born in the first world is say, contributing to a, a large amount of Sort of ecological damage just through the stuff that we we use during a lifetime. So, uh, uh, of course, the advert was designed to get your attention to shock and think, "Oh, how can a little baby, <laughs> harmless little baby, mean be more damaging than a than a, a, a smoking uh, factory or a, or an oil refinery?" But the point they were trying to make is is look at what we consume, look at what uh, we uh, we we feel that we need to prop up our lives and and how we live so. Sort of comfortably or luxuriously in, in the in the the first world in in the West. So what this prompts uh, uh, is the quality of um, 
So bringing attention to that and also seeing how wasteful we can be, how the the sort of the uh, the downside of all our consuming is that all the <laughs> all the packaging and the the devices that are two years old that we don't need anymore, the you know, last year's <laughs> last year's brand uh, is all sort of uh, put uh, put into the landfill, sent to the dump, and or, or not even sent to the dump, it's sent overseas <laughs> and taken to the third world and to be uh, to be dumped and and uh, uh, say sorted out, taken care of there, because we don't even want to bother putting it into our own land. So this might all sound very depressing and uh, and challenging, but I feel it's a, a, a again I'm not an expert. Uh, I haven't done a huge amount of, of research in this area, but just what one picks up in talking to people and seeing uh, you know, reports in the papers and so forth. It's uh, this is the picture that, that one easily gathers. So what it, it uh, encourages or what it points towards is that in order to be minimizing the the damage that we we cause to the environment and what what way we can benefit the world that we live in most e effectively is to uh, develop qualities of contentment uh, learning how to live simply uh, learning to be respectful uh, of the of the environment uh, of each other and uh, you know to learn how to to live as responsibly and caringly as we can. So then, uh, <coughs> in uh, in this effort, then the question arises: Well, how can we best respond, or how do we develop these kind of qualities of contentment, or, or you know, the sense of respectfulness and responsibility? How do we how do we draw our attention or reflect upon this whole area about the world, looking after the world, and uh, how best to relate to the unpredictable nature of life? Because of course we don't know uh, how the world's going to be. You know, our lives are are full of unpredictabilities and uncertainties. You know, none of us really know what's going to happen next. You know that, that so that uh, our, our world is is unpredictable, and so uh, how can we use the Buddha's teachings and the practices to to relate to the world and and its uncertainties? Well, maybe the first thing to to do is to consider well, what is the world? <laughs> when we think of the world, uh, uh, how is the world made up? And in uh, uh, in Buddhist uh, philosophy, uh, the, it's interesting how the 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 um, when we think of the material, when we think of the world, we think of the material world, this planet that we we live upon, and the um, the uh, the material forms that it's made up from. And so these are are classically categorized as being made up of four elements earth water fire and wind and uh, the earth element represents uh, solidity you might think already well we already know we have uh, more than a, more than 100 elements we don't just have four elements you know, that, uh, it's not uh, but it's also it's it's uh, important to recognize that the rather than thinking of, of the word element in terms uh, of uh, our modern day sort of scientific approach being the same way that the word is used in Buddhist philosophy, but rather because um, you might think, well, it's a sort of quaint folk belief back from the Middle Ages. You know, they used to think the same thing in Europe. They had uh, earth, water, fire, and wind. But um, the uh, uh, <coughs> I mean, yeah, that we uh, we understand that we know we know far better than that nowadays. We've got uh, more than a hundred different elements in the periodic table. But uh, the way that uh, the word element is used in, in the Buddhist uh, philosophy 
is, is somewhat different because it's talking about the fundamental properties of all matter. So solidity uh, and the, the, uh, the formed nature of matter or the crystal structure of, of matter is what is meant by earth element, patavidatu. As the earth element is the, the, the formed and structured nature of, uh, that there is within all matter. And then uh, uh, the water element represents fluidity and, and cohesion, so that all matter has some kind of fluid properties or some kind of element of some quality of cohesion, how it sticks together or holds things together. The um, element of fire represents temperature, heat, and also in terms of, of living things, it represents the, the life force, the jivita, uh, that um, is you know, present in, in all biological forms. And then the air element, uh, or wind element, vayodatu, represents vibration or oscillation. So, um, you know, all of these are representing or pointing to different fundamental qualities of, of matter. So, you know, the, this is the, the, the form of the world that we live in. Everything has a, uh, an earth element, a water element, uh, a, uh, a fire element, a heat element, and uh, an air element. That they, they are all, it's just describing different properties of matter. So uh, you can, we can consider that the, you know, the world that we're, we're living on is, is uh, say, formed of these four elements. And then in terms of uh, how do we re relate to the world's uncertainty, the changing nature of, uh, of the, the world, then uh, in the reflecting on this that, um, in, and looking at the Buddha's teachings, then essentially what the Buddha advises or recommends is the development of, of mindfulness, the quality of, of uh, say, a clear and um, focused attention on the, the way things are bringing careful and, and uh, deliberate attention to our, our experience of each moment. Um, and uh, that quality of mindfulness um, in the, the most, uh, say, um, fundamental or classic teaching of the Buddhas around, uh, the Buddha uh, made about mindfulness, the Satipatthana Sutta, then he, def he defined or categorized the four foundations of mindfulness or, or the, the development of mindfulness in four different uh, areas of, of experience. So mindfulness of the body, firstly, then mindfulness of feeling, uh, vedana or sensation in the body, then mindfulness uh, of uh, mind states, moods, chitanupasana, so the, uh, knowing the, um, the concentrated mind is concentrated, the unconcentrated mind is unconcentrated, the mind, uh, the angry mind is angry, the mind free from anger is uh, being free from anger. So the mindfulness of the, the realm of mental activity. And then lastly, Dhamma Nupasana, which can be read as being um, uh, either the mindfulness of uh, mind objects, uh, as the word Dhamma with a small d can refer to that, but also it it's, uh, it's refers to seeing um, or all experience, seeing all, all, all aspects of our mental and physical world in terms of Dhamma, so seeing the changing nature, the rising and passing away uh, of, uh, of all qualities. So Dhammanupasana is in a way seeing with wisdom, watching and observing uh, with an eye of wisdom on the, the changing nature of, of experience. So uh, a few years ago, I, uh, uh, when I was reflecting on this, I thought, well, maybe you can put these two together. 
and that uh, in reflecting on the the, um, the changing nature of the world, the unpredictable nature of the world, and uh, and also how to respond to that. Um, thought, well, maybe you can put these together. And uh, this is uh, this is by by no means a classical Buddhist teaching or methodology. It's just got my own invention. <laughs> So it might have no basis and it might not be worthwhile at all. But uh, I felt it's, it, was, it was an interesting way of uh, considering the whole area. Because um, the, if you look at the four elements, then you can line them up with the, the four foundations of mindfulness and consider how they fit together. So that mindfulness of the body it relates very directly to the earth element. And then uh, because of the, the quality of form and uh, the, um, the earthiness, of the body, and then mindfulness of feeling. Uh, you could uh, look upon the reflection on water, the nature of the water element, the uh, the fluid nature of of uh, feelings, uh, and uh, the nature of water, and then the uh, uh, the fire element in relationship to the mental world and the realm of perceptions, as the Buddha teaches about in the fire sermon, the uh, how uh, all of the the six senses are are on fire. And lastly, the air element about vibration, uh, how that's uh, related to the, um, say, the reflections on, uh, say, Dhammanupasana, the um, mindfulness of things in terms of reality, in terms of nature, seeing the arising and passing away, the, the, the kind of dynamic nature of all experience. So uh, this might be an interesting area to, to reflect on, or might not. <laughs> but I found it uh, interesting to put those together and to consider the uh, the the four elements and the way that the world is put together and the, the four foundations of mindfulness. Because when we, we think about how to respond to the world and uh, the changingness, the unpredictable quality of life, then um, in a sense what we're trying to do is to be mindful of all the different dimensions of our experience. We're trying to be say, attentive to um, all the different things within us and around us that, uh, that we experience and that, that are in a state of change and watching uh, not just the uh, the unpredictability of so, events in the world or forest fires happening or, or um, gigantic storms and floods occurring around the world as has been happening more and more often, but we're also looking at our feelings. You know, what's what's our emotion when we see uh, you know, a gigantic storm spread halfway across the Atlantic all the way to the to the Rocky Mountains? You know, how do we feel when we see that? Or we see forest fires you know, raging for for days and days and weeks? Or, or we or just like this morning, looking at this this photograph of the, uh, the lake at the North Pole, <laughs> what's when I, the, the perception of that uh, that picture uh, of a of a, a lake spread across the the North Pole, you know, uh, and uh, does the perception of it, what feeling arises within, so that in terms of of say uh, attuning to the experience of, of change, of uncertainty, and our responses to it, the the development of mindfulness, both observing our um, uh, the world around and then our reaction to it. You know, this is the, the most helpful and powerful tool. Now, it's also interesting in this respect uh, that um, the uh, uh, the way that the Buddha used the term "the world" in his teachings is um, uh, not uh, usually in terms of of the just the, the four elements that uh, that would be what constitutes material form, but uh, it's also interesting how he spoke about um, the world or loka, uh, not just being the, the planet that we, we stand upon, but 
but also meaning the, our, the way our mind forms its experience of the world. There's a, a, a very well-known sutta uh, when the Buddha was talking to a, a devata called Rohitasa. So uh, one day this, this uh, deva appeared before the Buddha and said, um, you know, before this life when I was a deva, I was a yogi and I had great abilities, great capacities as a, as, as a yogi. And I was what they call a skywalker. This is before Luke Skywalker. This is a, <laughs> a Pali Canon Skywalker. He said, I could, I could, I could stride through, uh, through the open air and, uh, and I made this commitment to keep walking uh, uh, non-stop until I reached the end of the world. But even though I walked for a hundred years, uh, pausing only to, uh, to, for food and uh, to rest now and then, uh, just to sleep a, a bit, uh, I walked and I walked and I walked for a hundred years, but I couldn't reach the end of the world. And, uh, and the Buddha said, well, it's, um, it's true, Rohitasa, that uh, and you, uh, you experience the reality of things. You know, that's, that's, that you, uh, uh, you cannot reach the end of the world by walking. And so it's no surprise that you didn't succeed in that. But I also say to you that unless you reach the end of the world, then you won't reach the end of suffering. And so then uh, the Buddha goes on to explain you know, that uh, that uh, the uh, <coughs> when he uh, uh, he talked about this, he said because it's in this within this very body, within this fathom long body, uh, there is the the world as the origin of the world, the cessation of the world. And the way leading to the cessation of the world, and so then he uh, he then uh, he, uh, defined um, in an interesting way. In I haven't memorized this particular sutta. Uh, <coughs> he then defined what he meant by the world in this in this following way: that what friends is that in the world by which uh, I said um, I understand the detailed meaning of this as follows. Um, that in the uh, that in the world by which one is a perceiver of the world and a conceiver of the world that is called the world in the noble one's discipline and what friends is that in the world by which one is a perceiver and a conceiver of the world the eye is that in the world uh, the ear the nose the tongue the body and the mind is that in the world by which one is a perceiver of the world and a con conceiver of the world and uh, The, um, so in, the, in this respect, what, uh, what the, the Buddha is referring to when he's talking to Rohitasa is that the world is our perception of the world. You know, the, 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 uh, the world that you're experiencing right now uh, is, is, I could say, it's not, it's not the actual world itself, it's your mind's representation of the world. So you're seeing this room from the particular place where you're sitting, uh, if you have your eyes open. <laughs> Then you see it from your spot. If you close your eyes, then the the visual world vanishes. If I'm if I'm talking, you can uh, you can hear the sound. You can orient where I'm sitting uh, as being over here. If I stop talking, then the you know the 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 world of sound disappears. So that our mind continually creates a perception of the world, a picture of the world, and that that's what we perceive. That's what we relate to. So. This is a, a, I say, a, a useful understanding. So when we were talking about developing mindfulness of the world, it's a lot to do with developing mindfulness of what we see, hear, smell, taste, and touch, and the flow of thoughts, and moods, and emotions. So if we want to, um, say, 
understand the the world, to understand the um, uh, the you know, the experience that we have of of our own mind or or, or the world around us. It's a lot to do with developing that the, uh, acute and clear mindfulness of the the world that we sense, what we see, hear, smell, taste, uh, and touch. <clears throat> now, when we are say bringing attention to um, uh, to the the world in this way, and then we see that. Uh, um, that even though we can't say, well, I, I, uh, I'm responsible for the, this giant storm over the Atlantic or this forest fire up in, 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 in Australia, or um, I am responsible for the melting of the ice caps. It's not something that we individually have, have done. But our perception is happening uh, uh, within this mind and how we relate to it, how we form an attitude towards that. And so that we are, um, in a sense, we're creating the world that we perceive, moment by moment, day by day. And that uh, when we are more aware of the fact that we create the world through our, through our perceptions, and then we create our attitude towards the world through our, our mental habits, then we, we realize that um, we have, a, a, say, a, even though we might not be able to control you know, the the sort of consumerism of society, or we can't control um, you know, what happens on the other side of the planet, we can control, or we, have an, we can have an effect on our attitude towards it. We can make a difference there. And so that this is, I feel that you know, the great strength of the Buddha's teaching in this respect is that uh, we, can, uh, we, we can have a direct effect on our own particular patch of the ecosystem. And so when we are able to say, uh, um, uh, look at uh, at our experience. Be able to look at what we see, hear, smell, taste, and touch, and look at our habits of reactivity, things that we are uh, inspired by, things that we're irritated by, things that we have an, an opinion about. Then we are able to uh, say um, get uh, familiar, become acquainted with those reactive patterns, and learn how. Uh, to, to not follow the ones that are, are destructive, that cause more sort of anxiety and more turbulence within ourselves, and learn to, uh, to support and encourage the ones that are, I say, beneficial and wholesome and helpful. So in this, uh, in this respect, it's kind of interesting that the, when the Buddha's giving the advice to Rohitasa, the end of the world is a very... Um, uh, is presented as a very good thing. <laughs> that we obviously, in our normal way of thinking, we we are afraid of, or we are, we are anxious about uh, the sort of the destruction and collapse of, of things in the world. But um, without trying to make things more confusing, that the uh, the the way that the Buddha is using that language when talking to, to Rohitasa is saying that uh, you won't reach the end of the world, you won't reach the end of suffering until you reach the end of the world. But these do fit together, because when he's talking about the world in that respect, you know, what he means is uh, the, uh, the end of the world is where we are no longer, um, say, being born, no longer dying, where the, the mind is not caught up in its, in its uh, pa- uh, habit patterns, but rather is able to be uh, uh, clear and awake and not, uh, uh, say, 
thrown around by uh, habit patterns of, of love and hate, like and dislike, yeah, fear and desire. So when we are, um, say, looking at our own life, and uh, on, on the internal level, uh, when we see that if we're getting, uh, say, stirred up by things, we see something happening on the television or on a, on a, a report on the a newspaper or on the, on the, uh, on the computer, and uh, we find ourselves getting angry or irritated, then we might not be able to directly affect the, uh, the event on the other side of the world or the other side of the country, but we can have a direct effect on our own angry feeling. Uh, how dare they? How could they do that? That's outrageous. <laughs> so we can have a, a direct uh, effect. We can see, oh, this is an angry reaction. I feel this righteous indignation. This has been triggered inside me. Uh, so that is something that we can have a, a, a direct effect upon. Or um, we can have, a, a, say, a, an anxious reaction that we are, we are hearing about the, the disappearance of resources that uh, we are um, thrown into, into fear and worry. And there was one, one case a number of years ago of a, a, young, uh, a young lad in Australia, a teenager, who was so worried about the, the lack of water um, or the disappearing water resources, he actually stopped drinking. He was hospitalized because he was so anxious about Disappearing water resources. He he just wouldn't he wouldn't drink because he didn't want to use up you know, the 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 um, uh, the water that was available. So uh, similarly, when we have an anxious reaction and that we we find ourselves getting uh, uh, in a, a fearful and panicked, stressed state, we can look at that anxiety. We can look at that that ang- that that fear and that. Uh, that stress within us, and we can know that we can understand that we we can have a direct effect upon that. So, the uh, I feel in terms of of uh, acting and living in ways that benefit the environment, benefit uh, our our community, and benefit the world, that uh, it's important to deal with our our most local <laughs> issues first of all, I mean, as local as you can get, like your mind, your body, and then. Uh, to bring the attention to that, because even if we are, say, joining various campaigns or getting active in um, trying to sort out the world through, uh, say, um, uh, putting energy and effort into various uh, cam- uh, sort of, um, uh, say, charities or campaigns that are uh, helping different things, like providing water sources or, or um, say, Preventing you know, wastefulness and, and, uh, of um, materials, or encouraging recycling of various kinds. That uh, in the in that very process of, of working hard and doing a lot to to uh, sort of help other other beings and to uh, save various different um, uh, say resources or, or help others around the world, we can be stressing ourselves out and driving the people that we live with. Uh, Crazy as well, and making life uh, you know, uh, unworkable, or making, causing ourselves to to collapse, so that then we are you know, contributing more to the to the to the stress and difficulty of the of the world, and then also to the people around us. So I feel that the place to begin is very much at home within our own life, and to be able to uh, to look at our, uh, our reactive patterns. 
and particularly in these uh, the the destructive or, or um, afflictive emotions of of uh, righteous indignation, of anxiety, of um, uh, and of the you know, the habits of uh, attaching to views and opinions, you know, uh, you know, such as like there's no such thing as climate change. Of course there is. You know, everyone knows that. The, the, Ajahn Amaro said that you know, the North Pole is melting. You know, he's an authority. <laughs> you know, we we attach to opinions. We get lost in in fear. We get lost in in anger, um, and uh, and one of the, the 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 difficulties is that the society often uh, uh, applauds us doing that. That seems completely normal, absolutely justified, and totally reasonable to to follow those particular patterns. But uh, if, when we do, if we are, are blindly pursuing those particular um, avenues, then, as I was just saying, you know, we we cause ourselves and others a great deal of stress and difficulty, and it, uh, it it's a a lose lose situation in the end. So, in this respect, um, particularly with meditation. It's extraordinarily helpful to learn how our, our reactive patterns of, of like and dislike, approval and disapproval, um, you know, fear and anxiety, how they work and how we can bring our attention to them and uh, you know, understand them and learn to, to get beyond them, learn how to transcend them. So uh, the, um, the, the, one of the, the difficulties is that Often we're only trying to deal with these emotions when they've been triggered by a certain situation. We've had a conversation with someone, or we've seen something, and we're right in the middle of a of a situation. So we're reacting, and we're caught up in that particular issue. So we don't uh, we don't uh, have much space to reflect on the fact of I'm having an ang- an anger reaction because you're angry about that <laughs> that thing you just seen on, on the TV or that you just heard somebody say. Um, so in order to to study. Uh, anger in order to to get to know it or or in order to study anxiety then it can be most helpful when you're sitting quietly by yourself and uh, and you're not uh, in a in a sort of live situation quote unquote but uh, it's uh, uh, as quiet and still as benign as possible and if you realize that you get caught up in anger a lot or you get caught up in anxiety a lot you you find yourself just lying awake at night stressing about the the well-being of the, the or the birds and the animals and the in human society, that you say, okay, well, I realize I have an, a, a, a habit of, of, of fretting, of anxiety. I have a habit of, of uh, angry reactions. So then when your mind is as quiet as you can sit, to sit down and take a, a time for meditation and, and uh, solitude, bring your attention uh, to, to the present moment as much as possible and then consciously trigger uh, a particular memory, like of a, uh, you know, bringing to mind an image of an oil spill, or, or of the, um, you know, a parched desert, or, or some politician lying, th- <laughs> lying through their teeth, <laughs> looking at you sincerely and lying, <laughs> lying like a trooper, you know, right, uh, as they uh, as they look sincerely right at you, and uh, so you don't need to create a whole story. You you know the story already. You don't have to have a, a whole lot of information. You know the information already, just to um, to bring to mind you know, that image of a you know, the burning oil rig or an oil spill or the, the politician's face or or the um, the lake over the North Pole, and uh, so you consciously bring that image to mind or just the name of that particular person, and and just leave it at that, and then 
as you you uh, use that image to you know, to deliberately trigger the the angry reaction or the fearful reaction, then uh, and this is the trickiest bit. Then you deliberately take the attention off the story, off the image, and bring it into your body. So when the mind launches into that angry reaction, yeah, why did he say that? Then to to withdraw the attention from the from the uh, the the actual issue, to to let go of all of the the verbalizing internally around that, and just to ask yourself now, where do I feel this in the body? This angry reaction, this this angry feeling, where is it? What's it like? What's its texture? And uh, so you're using the body, the feelings of the body, and uh, the kind of uh, the attributes of uh, of the body to explore. Okay, this angry feeling. What is it? What's it like? Is it like a, a tightness across my shoulders? Is it a, a a restriction in my throat? Is it everything heating up? You know, is it the fire element gets kicked in, or is it the? Do I feel a kind of vibration all over? Is it like the air element of the body? The 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 kind of uh, is there a, a like an intensification in the in the energy in the body? Do I feel like a a um, sort of a sharp pain in the gut, or just a tightening in in the gut, or do I, my lungs feel tight? What happens? And everybody is built differently. You know, we're all different uh, shapes and sizes, and, and our emotions work in different ways. So it's not going to be the same for everyone. But um, I encourage this kind of practice because I, particularly because I find it so uh, so effective, so helpful, and that uh, you're um, you're going to have a particular habit pattern around any any emotion. And so that if you just explore where that is and, and say, okay, well, I, when I, I have this angry reaction, then I feel it like a you know a sharp pain between my shoulder blades, uh, say for example. That that's where I feel it. So then you bring the attention to that that uh, that sensation, and don't try to do anything with it, but just to let the let the mind come to that that one spot. Or if if you're exploring anxiety, often it's like a, a knot of tension down in the in the solar plexus, a kind of uh, tangle uh, tight uh, knot uh, in the in the belly. So just bringing the attention to that. And just to reflect, oh, this is the feeling of anxiety, or this is the feeling of anger, or this is, this is the feeling of, but I'm right, <laughs> the righteous indignation feeling, and uh, and with as little commentary as possible, just keep the attention on that sensation, and just let it be known. Oh, this is the this is a feeling of anger. This is a feeling of anxiety. This is a feeling of, of a, of a righteous belief. It's like this. It feels this way, and then. Uh, develop what you can of just a, a natural quality uh, of acceptance. Okay, this is what it feels like. I have a body. I have a mind. I'm capable of feeling anger. I'm capable of feeling fear. I'm capable of of uh, experiencing sort of a rigid rigidity of of opinions. And here it is. This is what it feels like. So at that moment, you're accepting to some degree that uh, uh, that physical sensation and the, the degree to which you're actually accepting the physical sensation you're accepting where it's come from which doesn't mean to say that you're approving of <laughs> of uh, the uh, the the people who who uh, created the toxic oil spill you're 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 glad that person got elected as a politician uh, but you're accepting that this is what the anger feels like this is what um, the fear feels like it's like this it's, it has this quality and so that then, 
Uh, it's like uh, once you've, if you've drunk from the stream, you've also drunk from the source of the stream. So if you've, if you accept that physical sensation, then you've accepted. Oh, this is a, a reactive pattern that happens in me, and that 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 quality of acceptance then uh, helps to bring a, a a degree of resolution. We we learned we're at that moment we're learning how to not feed that reactive pattern. We're learning to to transcend it to to get beyond it. So then, uh, stay with that feeling for a little while, for a couple of minutes, and then after a bit, let's consciously uh, start to let that feeling fade. And particularly, you can use the out breath, the rhythm of the breathing, and the the exhalation to help that fade away and to to dissipate. Now, when you you do this kind of practice, it can take about um, ten seconds to launch an emotional reaction, and about half an hour for it to fade away. <laughs> It's not uncommon, particularly if it's a very strong reaction. But it's important just to stay with it and just use the breath to help it just to reach its, its natural conclusion and to fade and dissipate. And when it's finally gone, you can, you can reflect how this has come into being, this reaction, this sensation came into being, it did its thing, it faded away. And again, you're reflecting on the, the cyclical nature, the, the transient nature of experience. So this is, in a way... Uh, uh, reflecting on the the attributes of the air element and the the uh, the transient nature the the uh, the fluid and transient nature of experience like the you're looking at the 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 dhamma of it that the this this is dhammanupasana looking at the arising and passing away of an experience so then when uh, that has reached its conclusion you have seen the whole cycle it's come into being it's done its thing it's faded away and so <clears throat> when you are able to do that in the sort of the quiet of your own um, meditation room or your bedroom or your, you know your, your own favorite quiet spot you know here in the temple at Amravati or out in the meadow or in your you know, quiet place in in the Friston beaches or someplace then when you're in the situation where it's a it's a, a you know a, a live uh, a, a live situation where you are seeing that person on the TV, or you're you're in uh, you're, you're seeing the um, the the negative or, or painful results of of um, difficulties in, in and around the planet, uh, or you're you're confronted with that, and then a reaction happens, a, a wave of st- of stress and anxiety, or a wave of indignation, then because you've trained yourself uh, you, and you've looked at it in the sort of the quiet of your own room uh, in the air, then when it's a live situation then you know where to go you, the, instead of getting lost in reacting to the politician on the tv you go ah <laughs> i know i know what this is and you again bring your attention to the body notice the physical reaction that's there and then uh, say acknowledge it accept it and then do your best to to let it pass through and fade away now what this means is that we're not uh, in this whole effort we're learning to understand emotional reactivity this doesn't mean that we're t- we are trying to be passive so i'm not saying that you should immediately uh, sort of resign your membership of all of those charities that you belong to of uh, helping the otters and the um, providing water for the, the uh, uh, villages in in nepal or, or in africa uh, not at all but what uh, uh, what I'm encouraging is to uh, develop methods to uh, overcome emotional reactivity, so that we can actually work far more effectively and do the the um, say 
that the things that we wish to do without burning so much excess energy uh, lost in uh, stressed, uh, stressful reactive patterns of anxiety or anger or um, say uh, the uh, <coughs> the prisons of uh, of sort of compulsive and, and reactive thinking that we get so lost in, so that then we can we can uh, carry out the work that. Uh, we are capable of doing within the, our resources and within the time and effort and energy that we have, but we're also fitting in with the people around us. We're we're not creating uh, suffering within ourselves on account of the, the suffering of others. And it's interesting in this respect that whereas the 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 English word compassion means to suffer with, compassio from the Latin, to suffer with, in, in Buddhist psychology, compassion karuna is not a state of suffering. And, it, and, it, and the Buddha describes how if, if you're suffering on account of the suffering of another, that's not practicing compassion in a, in a, a wise or a complete way. So that you're empathizing with the, with the suffering of others, but you're not suffering on account of their suffering. That might be difficult to <laughs> get the mind around, but I feel it's a very important principle. So that in that way we're able to say, uh, generate and, and cultivate uh, a great deal of compassion but because we're not creating stress and, and suffering in ourselves on account of it we find ourselves far more able to be mindful uh, of what our capacity is so that we, we help where we can help and where we can't and where we can't help we don't create suffering in ourselves on account of that and this is something that was very difficult for me to comprehend early on when I first came into, into um, contact with Buddhist teachings, yeah, this, was in, this was completely bewildering to me because I thought if you care about uh, something or somebody and, you're, and they're suffering, then um, you should help them. And if you can't help them, um, then it's your fault that they're, that they're continuing to suffer. Right? That somehow I would just automatically take it on that because I can't help them, it's my fault that they're still suffering. Right? Does this sound familiar at all? And, but then, uh, uh, when coming in, in touch with, with Buddhist teachings, I remember when I was a, a novice in Thailand, having a conversation with, with uh, someone who visited the monastery one day, and we were talking about this area. And I said, "Well, yeah, it just it just worries me so much because you know the, I, I always want to help other people, but uh, you know it's uh, you know you always feel so bad when you when you can't when you can't do anything for them." And, and he kind of looked at me with this puzzled expression, and said, "Well." But you know, I'd like to help people. I do what I can, but what I can't do, because I can't do, you know, if I can't do anything, then then why should I suffer about that? Because I can't do anything. Because then, you know, if I suffer about it, then you got two people suffering rather than just one. So that's not helping anybody, is it? And I, I looked at him. I thought, I was. It was like having trying to find a pigeonhole to put that in. I couldn't. There wasn't a pigeonhole to sort of, to put that thought in. I was like, I've never had that thought in my entire life. <laughs> That's incomprehensible to me, but I feel that's a, that's a wonderful and, and a beautiful gift that the Buddha's teachings and practices offer us, and it helps us to in a, a practice Dhamma not just from an idealistic point of view. We're not just say uh, using Buddhist teachings and practices um, from an idealistic point of view, and say having that that effort disconnected with the reality of things, disconnected with our own capacities, and disconnected from from the, the people in our families or the, the world around us, but it's actually in tune with reality. And so the, the Buddha used the term 
dhamma nu dhamma patipada, to practice dhamma in accordance with dhamma, or practicing dhamma in accordance with reality, so that you're not just um, trying to, to, to do good from an idealistic position, but you're, you're, doing, you're, you're doing good and you're acting in a helpful, compassionate way based upon um, the, uh, your attunement to, to the situation, to the reality of things, and so that you're able to, um, say, fit in with the situation and uh, to use your abilities. But what you can't do, you don't create suffering about. And that uh, you're not glad that, you're, uh, that others are continuing to suffer. But uh, you recognize, well, if I could do more, I would do more. But I can't, so I don't. <laughs> and that, uh, and you find that when there is that attunement to reality, then we do what we can, but then we can sleep easily at night. We're not, we're not getting upset or, or restless or confused about all the things that we can't do. So in terms of um, the, um, the question of sustainability, I'd say this is... Um, you know, being in tune with Dhamma is a sort of the ultimate kind of sustainability. This is how we sustain our, our practice in our own life, that we, we sustain our spiritual efforts by being in tune with reality, by, by uh, say, not um, getting over-idealistic and, and, so, and also over-critical of ourselves. But we're, uh, we're able to sustain our good efforts and, and to sustain our own well-being through... Uh, helping others and living simply and uh, cultivating contentment and respectfulness for for others and for the world, yeah, based on uh, a genuine attunement to, to the reality of our lives and our situation. And then when we can do that for ourselves, when we have that sense of of uh, integration and uh, and uh, having our own life, say, um, functioning in accord with with nature, in accord with reality, and we're then we're, then we're able to impart that to others. So then the, the efforts that we make in helping others or when we, how we engage with, with others and work in the world, um, then that has the, 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 the possibility of having the same quality. Then the, the way that we are helping others, the action that we take, um, then that also is likely to be more in tune with, with, with things. And we, we, in a way, we're acting as an example. The way that we are, the way that we relate, uh, and uh, what we what we choose to do and how we do it then acts as an example and gives a lead to to the others that we connect with, and so that um, it sort of radiates out into the to the world uh, from from there, and so that uh, by getting things in tune at home, then we have a chance to help things really to be in tune in a in a broader sense. If they're not in tune at home, <laughs> then we can't really help to to make things in tune in the in the broader world. So this uh, uh, sustainability then um, is see you know, that it's also kind of interesting that the the word dhamma itself the word dhamma means that which upholds or that which sustains. <laughs> so that uh, the um, this uh, this principle of dhammanu dhamma patipada is it's not a it's not a Pali word that's used very often, but I feel it's a very valuable principle. So if you want to take one thing away. With you uh, from uh, the the teaching today and these these reflections that I've offered, just the, that um, that uh, that effort, so fulfilling your or carrying out your spiritual practice in accordance with reality, dhammanu dhamma padipada, so practicing dhamma, so, uh, 
uh, fulfilling your spiritual ideals in accordance with, with nature, in accordance with reality. And that that's, say, a, a very powerful um, support for really freeing your own heart and helping the, the world to arrive at a, a quality of well-being. And speaking of mindfulness, I'm now aware that the, the uh, doors to the kitchen have been opening and uh, refreshments are arriving on the servery. So I will uh, finish there after these thoughts for consideration. So we'll have a, a break for 20 minutes or so and then gather back for some dialogue questions uh, in a, uh, at uh, uh, 3.20.